It's Michael Pelka. It's Monday. It's the Puro Pelka podcast. And I'm back after a long battle against Pollen. And I lost a couple of the fights, but I won the war when all was said and done. So I'm back and I'm happy to be here. A lot going on. Boy, oh boy, is there a lot going on. We have to get to a ton of things. But before we dive into my commentary, I want to play something for you that came out over the weekend from the people at Budweiser. I know, I know, you're still mad about Bud Light, are you? Well, Budweiser, who lost $6 billion in market value because of all the people who are upset about the stupid woke ad and the hiring of a man pretending to be a woman to promote Bud Light, Budweiser decided we better put out a video. Get the Clydesdales out here. Make something cool. So they put out a beautiful one-minute piece featuring the Clydesdales and some American iconic scenes and a message that they hope will help start the healing. Let me tell you a story about a beer rooted in the heart of America, found in a community where a handshake is a sure contract. Brewed for those who found opportunity in challenge and hope in tomorrow. Raised by generations, willing to sip, share, risk, remember. This is a story bigger than beer. This is the story of the American spirit. Yeah, it is a story bigger than beer, Budweiser. Great, great analysis of that. Well done, you idiots. Gosh, this is a story bigger than America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, more than 52 million people have seen that video. And it's well done. You know, anytime you put the Clydesdales and great American scenes, whether it be fields in the flyover states or iconic American skylines, anytime you combine those with uh, great narration and deep voice guy and talk about America, you usually get a uh, little heartstrings being tugged. But people are still mad at you, Budweiser. And I don't know. I don't know if you you make the comeback as quickly as you think. But at least they're trying. Maybe start firing some of the idiots who made the choices to hire a man pretending to be a woman. Maybe that's a good place to begin. Just saying. I might suggest that. All right, before we get into the news of the day, let's talk about history on this day back in the day, 1790. America, a tiny fledgling country, said goodbye to one of its founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin passed away on the state in 1790. And I'm always amazed when people think he was a president. No, no, no. Just one of the founders, a guy who did a lot of great work at the early days of our uh, republic. A guy who also was an inventor and an inventor who believed in being charitable. Ben Franklin did not patent the design for his potbelly stove, which uh, could have made him a huge fortune. But he wanted it to be available to as many people as possible. 
and therefore able to help fledgling country citizens heat their homes. So he let it be free from any patent fees. Well done, Ben Franklin. Rest in peace, sir. Thank you for your service. On this date in 1947, Jackie Robinson, who broke the color barrier in baseball, of course, got his first hit. It was a bunt. A bunt. Think about that. All the huge, huge stories about Jackie Robinson. His first Major League Baseball hit was a bunt. It counts. On this date in 1961, America was embarrassed when we attempted to overthrow Fidel Castro with the disastrous Bay of Pigs invasion. Yeah, that's one of those mistakes. Big mistake that we made trying to get Castro out of there. Embarrassing, to say the least. In uh, 1964, Ford unveiled the Mustang. The first Mustang was seen at the World's Fair, went on to become a huge success, of course. 1969, Robert Kennedy's assassin, Sirhan Sirhan, was convicted of killing the uh, gentleman who probably would have been elected. He was on his way to winning the, uh, the Democrat nomination and then should have been a shoe-in. In 1968, but Sirhan Sirhan killed him and then was convicted. Uh, 1970, Apollo 13, which uh, just a few days earlier had taken off in an effort to go to the moon, but had a a terrible explosion, a disaster, and almost lost the lives of the three astronauts. Made it back to Earth. If you've seen Ron Howard's film, you know, you know how tense it was. Or maybe you read history, actually. And today's a historic day in uh, independent private space travel. Uh, On this date in 2015, SpaceX delivered groceries to the International Space Station. That's right. Elon Musk's company brought groceries to the International Space Station. And today was supposed to be the day that Elon Musk launched a test version of the largest rocket ever. This gigantic rocket was supposed to go up this morning. And I got up early to watch the uh, pre-launch stuff. I saw them loading the fuel, and then they had problems. Musk says it might happen a couple days later. Unfortunately, the launch was scrubbed. And it was 2020. You remember all the way back in 2020? Uh, 2020, on this date, Land of Lakes, Lando Lakes, announced they were going to take the Native American woman off of the packaging for its products. Yep, they went woke, and you forgot about it, didn't you? It seems weird. We had the Land of Lakes Native American. We had Uncle Ben's. We had Aunt Jemima. All of those uh, product icons removed. And to what end? Nobody knows. All right, where are we today? Joe Biden's back from Ireland from his government-paid vacation. Well, you and I paid for it, taxpayer-paid vacation. He is uh, resting from his vacation. He got a vacation after his vacation. Just infuriates me. He's at his beach house in Rehoboth, Delaware. And we'll be back in D.C. tomorrow. I wonder if we're actually going to get any statements on the leaks and who the leaker is and who he may have been working with. We will see. It was a, a, a trip to Ireland of zero consequence 
I'm guessing unless you're Hunter Biden, who went along and was curious to me, where was Jill Biden? Why isn't the media curious that the first lady did not go on this trip? Had this been Donald Trump? And yes, I'm playing whataboutism. Had this been Donald Trump and Melania Trump did not make the trip, there would be questions, 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 questions. But nothing. Silence. Crickets. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Uh, Joe said so many things that were uh, wrong while he was on his uh, little Irish trip. There's not enough time to put them together in the podcast. Zero. Zero time to put them in. Uh, there's postings everywhere on them, so you can look them up. We have a whole bunch of stories, though, that are popping in the news today. An appeals court threw out the ProPublica scandal story slamming Clarence Thomas, saying, you know, you're trying to make Clarence Thomas sound like he's a, he's a bad dude. Well, the guy who bought Clarence Thomas's home, who paid for those trips, had no business before the Supreme Court. So he couldn't have been influencing Justice Thomas for anything. He's just a friend. And by the way, he bought Clarence's, Clarence Thomas's home in order to turn it into a museum. So that's kind of a cool thing. Kind of a cool thing. Uh, in terms of presidential candidates for 2024, Joe Biden still has not announced. He's told us over and over again he's planning on running. Still not announced. And the only other confirmed Democrat candidate is Marianne Williamson. Oh, unless you, you count the other Kennedy member, Robert Kennedy Jr. is uh, saying he's going to run, but I don't think it's as a Democrat. I don't know if he'll primary Joe, but his other family members have all said they're going to vote for Biden. They're on Team Biden. Mike Pompeo last week said he was not going to run. He was not going to challenge Donald Trump. I wonder if that means Mike Pompeo, former secretary of state under Donald Trump, could be considered as a vice presidential candidate. There's a whole lot of discussion that Mr. Trump has a, uh, a set of requirements if he's going to choose a female running mate. Because that's what, you know, Democrats would be saying. Well, you know, we don't care about how much the person knows. We want to know about their uh, checking of boxes. Is it a person with a JJ? Is it a person of color? I, I just know the Republicans have infinitely better choices than the Democrats do. So we shall see. We shall see what happens. We are uh, keeping an eye out on the hearing, the congressional hearing the House hearing in Washington, D not Washington, D.C. today, but in New York. Normally it would have been in Washington, D.C., but Jim Jordan moved it to New York City because he wants to get Alvin Bragg, the uh, Manhattan District Attorney's attention, I'm sure. He would like to get Alvin Bragg to testify, but Bragg won't. We're trying to figure out just how politicized this attack on Donald Trump through the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has become. And uh, I watched a little bit of it this morning. One of the funniest things that happened this morning was the opening statement from Jerry Nadler. He's the, the pudgy guy, the Democrat. The, we call him the waddler here. Jerry Nadler was making an opening statement and was just attacking the the reality of being in New York and having to have people answer questions about crime and 
how the Democrats have, A, ruined the city and politicized the district attorney's office. And some of the people in the crowd couldn't help laughing at Jerry Nadler. Check it out. They are using their public offices and the resources of this committee to protect their political patron, Donald Trump. It is an outrageous abuse of power. It is, to use the chairman's favorite term, a weaponization of the House Judiciary Committee. I do not know if Mr. Trump... You hear the people laughing? There are actually people who came to attend this who are laughing at Nadler because he's a dope and he's saying dumb things. Jim Jordan, to his credit, as the laughter came up, reaches for his gavel and tries to be a fair guy and keep order in the hearing. We'll be found guilty. I do not suspend, know. Gentlemen, suspend. The gallery uh, should refrain from commenting and let the gentleman from New York finish his statement. It's hard to, su- to suppress a laugh. I'm sorry, Mr. Jordan. It's very hard to suppress a laugh when something is as funny and ridiculous as what Nadler has been saying. There was another voice in there. Matt Gates from Florida was responding to some of the commentary from other Dem- Democrats other than Nadler. There were others like um, she Jack, Sheila Jackson Lee was in there. And they were kind of attacking the, the reality of this hear- hearing happening. They don't like that the Republicans are in control. And Matt Gates jumped up and gave a brilliant summation. Check it out. I am not here to criticize any New Yorkers except maybe one. And that's because so many New Yorkers will soon become Florida voters. That's true. Matt Gates is right. A ton of New Yorkers have escaped the tyranny and the madness of the liberals running that city and that state and have become residents of Florida. Just hope they don't bring their idiotic ideology to that great state. Well done, Matt Gates. You made me laugh. And Jim Jordan didn't even have to gavel me to silence. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, other stuff that we have to cover today, and we must cover the stories today. Uh, Tucker Carlson, by the way, has a, a big show tonight. Elon Musk, interview with Elon Musk. And I know you've seen some of the leaks out there. Uh, not leaks. Tucker actually released them. We can't call those leaks if he released them. Some clips of his discussion with Elon Musk about just how deep the government tentacles had reached into Twitter and were controlling Twitter. And at the same time, your tax dollars were compensating Twitter for all of the legal work that was being asked for by the government when they were shadow banning and shutting down accounts, etc. Your tax dollars in the amounts of millions and millions, millions and millions, paid to Twitter. Yeah, it's very interesting. I assume we're also going to hear from Elon Musk about uh, AI, hot topic, and how much AI is, is a danger to all of our survival going forward. And I'm guessing we're going to hear about uh, the trans topic from Elon Musk and about changing the children before they are grown-ups by giving them drugs and by giving them surgeries, mutilating them, if you will. And why do I believe that's going to happen? Because um, over the weekend, Elon Musk posted a tweet 
that a lot of people were like, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Elon Musk said that? Yeah, Elon Musk talked about jailing people for life who give gender-affirming care. I'm using air quotes with my fingers. But, you know, drugs to suppress nature's natural progression for a child through puberty. Those puberty blockers. And then the mutilation surgeries. Uh, Elon Musk believes that any parent who okays that should be jailed for life. For life. And I'm, I'm with him. And I can't wait to hear what he says. And we'll talk about it maybe tomorrow right here on this podcast to follow up to that tomorrow. So that's a big stinking deal. The uh, lawsuit from the Dominion Voting Machine Company against Fox News was supposed to start today. The trial was supposed to begin today. And I predicted this on Saturday night. I believe there's going to be a settlement. There are discussions apparently between the judge and both parties involved in this, Dominion and Fox, going on today. The judge postponed the trial at least one day. I think Fox is going to settle. And then we'll be done with it. And it's going to drive the left nuts because especially if it's a if it is a sealed settlement, they won't know what to do. They will have no idea on how to deal with that reality. But I expect that's what is going to happen. It's uh, stay tuned for that news for tomorrow in the world of woke news. Uh, SNL actually has a non-binary cast member. And uh, that person who I think wants to use the pronouns they and them, even though the person was born a female named Molly Carney. Molly Carney was on the uh, news segment on SNL and she flew in on a wire to give a lecture on transgenderism to everybody and saying that, you know, uh, you're, you're hurting children by not giving them gender affirming care. No, they're, they're not able to get a tattoo before the age of 18. Why should you be able to mutilate their bodies or give them drugs that will prevent nature from doing what nature and what God has created? Uh, it's amazing. Uh, and uh, the SNL crew has gone totally, totally woke and lecturing all of us. Just, just uh, you could see it. I'm not going to play it for you. Uh, CVS, the drugstore chain, has told employees, you better get on the preferred pronoun train. You better get on that. They posted a list of guidelines. So now you have to, you have to worry about making sure you get the right pronouns when you talk to somebody who's picking up their prescriptions. I, I think you'd be better served to worry about any interactions between the drugs and the individuals. But no, that's, that's where we are, CVS. And then I think this falls into the woke news file. Story in the New York Post about a plus-sized traveler, meaning a uh, large person, a fat person, an overweight person, uh, who is also considered to be a social media influencer who is demanding, demanding that airlines accommodate larger passengers when traveling. Uh, this person was traveling uh, on a plane out of uh, Washington and going somewhere and is demanding the FAA protect, protect. That's an interesting term they all use. Protect plus size customers. And several demands were listed. She put a petition out and pictures of herself 
kind of squeezed into a JetBlue seat. You know, it's only coach on JetBlue, or they call it business class. Uh, this is a two-hour flight from uh, Pasco, Washington, to Denver. And she said that the seats are too small, so that's discrimination. And that she got disapproving looks and hateful comments. Well, I'm one of the people who believes that, yeah, airlines are small. The planes are small. They, they, don't, they don't fit normal-sized people. I'm six feet tall, 205 pounds, and it's tight for me in coach. I can't imagine being morbidly obese as this person appears to be and trying to be comfortable. Well, maybe you have to fly first class. But the airlines shouldn't have to accommodate you if you're unhealthy, should they? We'll see where this goes. She's filed this petition. Now, 40% of the country is obese at this point, according to what Dr. Royzen told us. 40%. Does that mean her petition will succeed? I doubt it. I doubt it. But I could always go back to my, my proposal from years ago that all air travel is based on how much weight you put on the plane. You know, when you check a bag, they weigh it. And if it's over whatever the limit is, 50 pounds per bag, you have to pay an extra fee because the plane can only accommodate so much weight total. So maybe if you're an underweight passenger, you get a better rate. And if you're an overweight passenger, you pay a little more. And maybe you buy a second seat, whatever it is. We'll see. This is a suit we will keep our eyes. You know what we should do is talk to Wendy Patrick about this, our attorney friend, and find out what the deal is there. A couple of other stories that I want to bring to your attention uh, before I kick into the, the interviews. I wanted you to hear the Tracy Beans interview and the Jonathan Honig interview. A couple of other stories. This is why I hate the U.N. The U.N. wants a global society and they really want socialism. If you read the United Nations Bill of Rights that uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was kind of pushing for when she was first lady, the U.N. Bill of Rights is horrible. It's a socialist document. But a U.N. report is now calling for decriminalization of all sexual activity, including between adults and children. Yeah, the U.N. wants all forms of drug use and sexual activity decriminalized globally. No laws dealing with drugs, drug, drug use, and uh, no laws protecting children from having sex with adults. Or really, from adults having sex with children. That's really what it should be, since children need our protection. Their brains aren't fully formed until they're 26. We make them adults at the age of 18. But in the UN's mind... Oh, they're adults the minute they can uh, walk and talk, I guess. So I, I totally, totally dislike the U.N. I wish we could boot them from this country. And one of the great pieces that ran over the weekend in the Sunday Times, uh, you can find it, I'll, I'll post a link to it, is the common sense that's constantly coming out of Morgan Freeman's mouth. Morgan Freeman, in an interview just recently attacked Black History Month. He talks about Sidney Poitier 
why he's envious of Denzel Washington's career. What a classy guy, Denzel Washington. Morgan Freeman says in this interview, it's an insult to be called an African-American. He's 85 years old. He's often spoken about how great it's been for him in this country. But I love the fact that he's out there saying it's an insult to be called an African-American. I remember when he told Don Lemon that racism doesn't exist in this country. And Lemon kind of stared and went, what? And Freeman said, look at you and look at me. There's your answer. You can do it if you want to. Thank you, Morgan Freeman. Thank you. What a great man. We probably don't agree on everything, but I think he's got his mind right on this. Made over 115 movies. What a career. And he's pretty much known as the voice of God. He understands how blessed he is. All right. I said um, that I had some uh, great interviews to share with you. And I I think they're uh, fascinating. The first one comes from uh, our friend Capitalist Pig, Jonathan Honig. Honig is um, my go-to guy on a lot of things that deal with the economy. Jonathan Honig understands the economy from both a micro and a macro perspective. And I tap into his brain when I'm trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. Should we be worried about inflation, about a recession, about the government policies, all that stuff. And he's also a guy who believes in small government, big freedom, like me, so we kind of get along. And uh, I spoke to Jonathan uh, late last week and asked him about a lot of things relating to our economy, including the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, who I think is just a moron. Uh, Jonathan Honig, welcome, my friend. Am I right about the Treasury Secretary? Is she crazy? Everything is just peachy clean. She thinks the economy is performing exceptionally well. She's not expecting a downturn. Your listeners, like many, many Americans, are truly feeling it in the pocketbook right now. Yeah, well, Jonathan, earlier this week, we got those numbers that are saying that inflation is slowing uh, for, I think, the ninth month in a row was what the administration told us. But it's still two and a half times higher than the Fed's target. And when we handed the keys to the administration, uh, how can they make that claim, especially when real wages are going down for 23 consecutive months? I mean, that's exactly right, Mike. I mean, people are working more, they're making less, and inflation isn't slowing. It's the rate of change, the rate of increase of inflation that's slowing. I mean, it's, it's so frustrating. This is why, you know, 70% of Americans are feeling financial stress. In fact, more than half are living paycheck to paycheck. I mean, $100 ain't anything anymore. And as you said, Mike, although the rate of inflation is slowed, the increase in wages hasn't kept pace. So people are working more, making less. And in fact, one like increasingly worrisome thing is, is that the increasing rate of jobs has, has uh, slowed. So there's more joblessness. The only place we're really seeing hiring is in relatively low-skilled, low-paid uh, service and hospitality work. So this economy is very, very shaky. And it's not necessarily something you see in a spreadsheet, but it's something that everyday Americans of every social strata are feeling this morning. Yeah, when you talk about jobs, uh, we're hearing warnings about a, a possible recession coming up later this year. We're hearing worries about it. Uh, and we see food prices are still going up. It's it's not easy to feed a family. What should we be looking for? Are there indicators in the job market? Like I know the tech sector 
the high tech sector out West has experienced a huge number of layoffs uh, everywhere. It seems like every single area. Are there specific areas we should be paying attention to 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 get ready to gird our loins for a financial meltdown? Mike, you, your loins are, and I'm told, are always girded. <laughs> yes, they are. That's true. Every day, I, the first thing I do is get up and gird my loins against the financial meltdown. Well, look, I mean, we're not uh, Cassandra's, but we have to be, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, foreshadow what could be a really tough fall. You know, the, the, the moving average, Mike, of unemployment claims has risen for 28 straight weeks. And as you said, we've already seen some massive layoffs. I mean, earlier this week, Elon Musk said he's cut 80% of Twitter's staff. Think about that. Wow. He has, he has wow. had cut over 7,000 people. The whole platform now has only 1,500 employees. So we're already starting to see many, you know, pretty significant job cuts. And, you know, what individuals can do, Mike, I know something you've preached for so long is get your financial house in order. You know, we've talked for well over a year or two on the radio about having that emergency fund in place, having your consumer debts paid down. And it's, it's certainly times like these that, uh, you know, that behooves you more than anything because, you know, it's hitting every element of the economy. Even just yesterday, American Airlines stock was down really sharply. It's suffering from rising fuel costs, rising labor costs. So there's really no way to escape this inflation. And, Mike, what's so frustrating is that it's being exacerbated in D.C. I mean, the so-called inflation reduction bill has really done nothing systematically to solve this issue. And what worries me is that we're setting ourselves up for something like the 1970s, where inflation simply lingered. It wasn't here and gone. It lingered for the better part of 10 or 12 years. So, you know, until we get some leadership in D.C., this inflation isn't going away. Uh, that, that brings me to a question, Jonathan Honig, CapitalistPig.com. What's worse, like a, a big flash of inflation where over a six to nine month period it goes up and drops or a two, three year period? where it's much higher than normal, but not at that sky high rate. What's worse? It's that slow, relenting grind, Mike. I mean, think about it. You know, we talked about your, your earnings are going up 4 or 5% a year. Inflation is running at 6 or 7% a year. So month after month, year after year, Americans are literally have less money in their pockets. And, you know, you don't have to look at some fancy uh, economics. The price of gold this week, Mike, just literally a couple of pennies away from its all-time high. So, you know, think about the hours worked to buy that gold or even a, a, the stamp. You know, if you saw earlier this week, the price of a first-class stamp is going up another 6%. It is 66 cents now. You know, Mike, this is the second raise of a price of stamp in just the last six months. So, you know, once again, this is what's so – what would be better is that a, a shock therapy, if you will, massive cuts in government spending, massive deregulation – you know, this is very much what Carter did in the late 1970s. You know, cut spending, uh, deregulated. Reagan did the same. But, you know, we're going in the opposite direction now. And this is what's so detrimental, Mike, to the poor, the, the lower income folks among, among us for whom, you know, an extra $100 and $200 a month is a tremendous, tremendous impact. So uh, inflation is still taking a major bite out of the economy, despite the fact it's, its rate of change has slowed. Jonathan, I have to ask you a question here. As you talk about the, the rise in postal rates, I'm one of the guys who goes to the post office about seven to 10 times a year, mostly to return packages and stuff. I don't mail a lot of letters. I don't write a lot of checks, but whenever I go in, I buy a sheet of the forever stamps, which you pay one price. Now you pay the today price and they're good forever. And I, I just realized I have in my, my stamp drawer at home in my little office, 
probably three or four sheets of the forever stamps. If they're going up 6%, should I go in and buy $2,000 worth of them and then start <laughs> selling them on the streets at uh, yeah, somewhere mean, between the new rate and the old rate? Yeah, I mean, Mike, that's probably been one of the best investments, uh, you know, in recent years is simply buying and exactly holding those forever stamps. But I have to tell you, it, it, it's been good, but it hasn't beat Bitcoin. I mean, much to my amazement, Mike, and we've kind of marveled and wondered at Bitcoin, its tremendous volatility over the last couple of years. You know, even amid all these meltdowns in the global economy, banks failing, Bitcoin is up 81% just this year. So, you know, you never want to make any long-term predictions with crypto, but stamps are going up, but Bitcoin's going up even more as Americans are looking to find some hedge against the falling value of their dollar. You know, Mike, a couple ideas. We talked about gold, foreign stocks, foreign bond funds. These are the types of investments over a capitalist pig I see working right now amid higher inflation and a weaker U.S. dollar. you got to kind of look overseas to try to hedge your bets. I think stamps are one idea, but your portfolio might use a few extra assets as well. Um, so, Jonathan, you, you said foreign stocks and foreign bonds. Is, is the, the rest of the world in better shape than we are financially? Well, it's a comparison game, Mike. It is the value of the dollar falls relative to other currencies. Buying a foreign stock or bond is like buying an income stream in that foreign currency. Now, you never want to make it an all or none. But, you know, during the last bull market, it was primarily U.S. stocks that were leading the charge. This time around, it really seems to, to be foreign stocks. By and large, they're up about double from American, uh, as against American stocks over the course of the last year. So foreign stocks are outperforming. The big moves take time. But if you're looking at your lo portfolio long term, I do think you want to at least have some foreign exposure. That's really where the action is right now. And the financials uh, heat it up uh, and back it up in the sense that the dollar is weak. Gold is soaring. That's where people are putting their money right now. I've been watching gold and I'm, I see all the commercials for all these people saying, you know, you have to have physical gold in your home. And I, I just, I know it's very heavy, so I can't see running around with a gold no. bar in my pocket. Yeah. <laughs> it's you know, Michael, yeah. One idea briefly is that there's a ticker is a GLD. I have no connection to this symbol at all, but it's a simple ETF that invest in, in, in tracks the price of gold. Don't put it in your basement. Don't put it in your sock drawer. Uh, if you want exposure to gold, that's probably the best, safest, and most efficient way. It's GLD in any brokerage account. So everybody do the research. That's the most important thing you can do. Jonathan is one of the great voices. Jonathan Honig at CapitalistPig.com. Jonathan, the story that made me send you an email was the story about Gen Z and millennials who are... I guess, guilting their parents into tapping into their own retirement savings to bail out either their bad decisions or just the fact that they're stuck in an economic malaise. Uh, how bad is this trend? Yeah, this is serious, Megan. This is kind of gets to this point of this very weak economy. Why seven out of 10 Americans are feeling this financial stress. You know, as I said, Janet Yellen doesn't seem to see it, but you know, some fascinating survey out from bank rates, seven in 10 Americans uh, have made at least one financial sacrifice to help out their adult children. We're not talking about 13-year-olds, Mike. We're talking about young people in their 20s, even early 30s. In fact, nearly a quarter of those 
have given up over $25,000 in cash. And that's in addition to many of those children living at home. So this is such a, a dramatic opposite to what certainly happened in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and even to early 2000s, Mike. Young people were eager to get out of the house, get that first job, live on their own. And, you know, we see this tremendous uh, uh, resurgence of kids not only living at home later, but really relying on their parents to make dramatic financial sacrifices so that they can actually start their lives. It's a pretty worrisome sign considering many of those boomers are going to be retiring with much less uh, 401ks in their pocket. Yeah. And if you're tapping into your retirement savings, your 401k, whatever it is ahead of the time when you're allowed to retire, you might even negate some of the gains you've made with penalties on those withdrawals. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's really the worst possible thing you can do, Mike, as you said, to pay penalties, to use your own savings, your own money. Unfortunately, so many millennials and so-called Gen Z are in such bad financial shape. You know, they've gotten, as you know, these uh, essentially uh, unmarketable degrees from very fancy institutions with massive college debts and no money to show for it. So this is why they're hitting up their parents to basically help to fund their own lifestyles. And all Americans are worse off as a result. Jonathan, you're, you're saying that that PhD and one-legged Native American folk dancing is not going to pay off the $200,000 in college debt? That's what's so frustrating, Mike, is, you know, we're seeing more and more of exactly that type of government intervention, you know, whether it be medicine or certainly education, it's not the free market that causes these types of massive misallocation of wealth. It's all that government intervention, the incentivization to, to take out massive loans at, at uh, privileged prices to get those totally worthless degrees. So, you know, those choices are saddling young people and their parents with really a lot of financial difficulty. It's why it's important to be even more uh, smarter and more conscious with your money, especially now, Mike. I mean, we're out, I don't think we're out of the woods just yet when it comes to this economy and the persistent inflation. As I said, I mean, Biden and Yellen are taking victory laps about it slowing, but, you know, it slowed in the early part of the 70s only to surge in the latter part of the 70s. And we're certainly not out of the woods just yet. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Be smart, people. My <laughs> grandmother, my late grandmother used to say, be smart for yourself first. Take care of yourself first. So when the storm comes, you'll be ready. My buddy Jonathan Honig pays attention to all of this. And I learned something today. I hope you did, too. Follow him on Twitter. He's got great stuff on Twitter. And he also tells you when he's going to appear on some of the financial shows, which I always try and track you down. And uh, you can track him down at capitalistpig.com as well. Thank you, Jonathan. Always great stuff from Jonathan Honig. Always terrific stuff. The other uh, interview you may or may not have missed last week featured Tracy Beans from UncoverDC.com. UncoverDC.com, a great place to go for news, journalism, etc. And Tracy's been monitoring the Arizona election from 2022. I know, I rolled my eyes a little bit too. And then I listened to Tracy, and I am absolutely enamored with her take on what could possibly happen in Maricopa County with the lawsuits relating to Carrie Lake's efforts to become governor of that state. And so uh, we spent a little time talking about it. Tracy Beans, welcome, my friend. Oh, Mike, it's so good to be here. I'm glad you're here, because I think the last time we talked... You had just come in from your backyard in South Kakalaki where you were taking videos of the of the Japanese balloon or Chinese balloon being shot down over the ocean. That is correct. It was that day, I believe, that we spoke on the phone. Tracy lives in South Carolina and she was outside that Saturday. She's going, wait, wait a minute. 
Those jets, <laughs> they're a little low, and that balloon, look at it, it's smoking. Yeah, that was kind of a weird day indeed, but you had a front row seat to that, and we still don't have the answers to that one, do we? No, and I don't think we ever will, which is common, you know. We never get good answers from this, this government. And so, you know, you, you, you made a, a bunch of really great points about election integrity. A lot of people are tired of hearing about it. Trust me, if we had fair elections, I wouldn't have to spend all my time following these, you know, different court cases and reporting on them for everybody. But we don't. So I do. So the Carrie Lake case is still ongoing out in Arizona. And for good reason, Mike, because... They went to the Supreme Court, appealed everything up. The Supreme Court said in Arizona, hey, you know what? You actually made a mistake here. We're remanding this back down to the trial court. They have to hear these claims about um, about signature matching, which is really the, the, the cornerstone of so much um, fraud that's going on. And even, you know, even if, if people aren't, aren't doing their, they're not following their procedure to check and make sure that the person signing this mail-in ballot is the actual person that is supposed to be casting it. Um, anytime one person, no matter what side of the aisle they're on, has their vote taken from them, it's disenfranchisement and it needs to be fixed regardless of the outcome. So the trial court's going to hear that, Mike, but that's not what I want to talk about today. Something else. Okay. Can I ask you, is it still related to the elections or can I ask you, should I ask you a question about the election? Well, it is related to the election. You can ask me any question you want. That's why I'm here. I'm at your beck and call right now. (laughs) I love this. I love this kind of power over Tracy Beans. Uh, Beans, let me ask you, are there enough, you know, we talk about these signatures, signature matching of votes, are yes. there enough to overturn the election? And if if this case is decided in Carrie Lake's favor and the courts all say, you know, you're right, they were screwing with the election, how do you unring that bell? I know, isn't that the question of the century? There are several different ways to do it. There's a new election adjudicated by people who are not of the, you know, the same, um, the same board. They, they bring in like temporary people that are unbiased and kind of in the middle of the road and they run the election again. There's a, a number of different ways to do it. It's never really been done, I don't think, this late into the game before. But yes, there are enough votes. Um, this election was, was, you know, decided on a very small margin. Um, And so what I'm talking about with you today that I found in this new filing was this. They wanted to to fine Carrie Lake's attorneys for bringing this complaint to the Supreme Court at all, um, that there was no chain of custody on these ballots. So the ballots came into the counting center. They're supposed to be counted one by one by staff that are there. Maricopa County admitted they didn't count the ballots. They just did an estimate of how many ballots they thought were there and then shipped them off to Runbeck, who does the scanning and sorting for signature verification. And then there's a form they fill out. So at the counting center for Maricopa County, they filled out X number of ballots. And then they sent them off and Runbeck did their thing and filled out their form saying there are X number of ballots. And the difference is 35,563 or something ballots which is I almost double the margin of victory for Katie Hobbs. And, and the reason that they were able to find this, uh, Mike, has nothing to do with Carrie Lake accusing people of doing things there's no you know, data for. It came from Katie Hobbs's own exhibit in the trial <laughs> where she said, look, we did chain of custody, and here's the, here's the forms they're saying that are wrong. And they were wrong, and they were, they're in 
they're in the record as incorrect that Maricopa County says they sent a certain number of ballots. And then who knows what happened to them on the way. There are whistleblowers that have testified under oath that people were adding ballots to the count at the Runbeck facility. Right. And that's why I can't let this go, Mike, because it's so blatant and glaring in this election. It's not even funny. And the Carrie Lake election is so overwhelmingly clear that this election was was taken from Carrie Lake that it's and, and Abe Hamade and probably Mark Fincham as well. So, you know, I mean, Rasmussen ran a poll, Mike, that that showed that Lake probably won by eight points. Wow. Well, Rasmussen uh, Rasmussen leans a little bit right. We should be fair about that. So understanding. Yeah. So they lean right. Even if we shave half of what they anticipate, that means she still won by four points, probably. Mm -hmm. And that in itself, and that's Maricopa County or the whole state? The whole state. Okay. So that's the whole state. That's a big stinking deal. no, no. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Maricopa County, I believe, is where that poll was run in Maricopa. Okay, okay. still a big deal, because that's the biggest county. Yeah, now, that's where three-quarters of the votes come from, yes. So I still go back to my point. Kelly, you, we wake up to next week, because ta- let's say it takes a week to clear all this out. We wake up next week, and everybody in the law goes, yeah, 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 Carrie Lake got shivved. And she won this by at least uh, four percentage points in total votes. How do you remove a sitting gut? Will there not be suits until the term runs out? I don't know. I wish I could answer that question. I don't know. I don't know. But what's right is right, Mike, at this point, honestly. You know, they just um, I'm not I'm not up to speed quite enough yet, but they just expelled Liz Harris from the House in Arizona. It seems like this is the new thing to do is when you don't like someone, you just get rid of them by a vote, you know, which kind of negates the point of an election. I'm of the ilk that says if you don't like what your representative is doing, run a recall on them. That's the people's decision, not the people. You know what I mean? So it's just that. There's whole a whole bunch of nonsense going on all over the place, and I, it's unprecedented what we're going through right now. So I don't have a good answer. Yeah. So Arizona did what Tennessee did and had overturned immediately, and I, I am I'm glad to hear you say that you're against that. I think we risk disenfranchising voters when we start letting the the other elected officials throw out elected officials they don't like. Because that sets a really bad precedent that will will start locally, and I guarantee you it will go all the way up nationally to the House of Representatives and maybe even the Senate. And that is go- that's going to make the people who whose votes are sacrosanct, in my book, mad. And that's going to turn them... I, I told the GOP it's a bad idea in Tennessee. I, I really think but- it's a bad idea. I hope it doesn't happen in other places, but here it is in Arizona. Do you think the vote is sacrosanct, though? And I guess that's the root of the conversation we're having today. Is it? Is it even? Do we even know anymore? Well, it should be. It was intended to be sacrosanct, and that's another SAT word on the show today, people. So look up sacrosanct, and you'll know what we're talking about. And if it is not, then elections can never be considered to be uh, fair and have integrity. And if your vote doesn't count then what's the point in voting? We just now, in the last couple of elections, we just started seeing participation increase. We're still nowhere near 
places where you see voting over 70%, 80%, 90%. And those are places that put us to shame when it comes well, to saying, okay, we, we participate. Actually, if you want to get if you want to get specific, in 2020 there were several precincts that had over a hundred percent turnout. Mike, well, that's a more problem. than a hundred percent of the voters came to vote. That is a problem. Tracy Beans, of course, has the numbers. Uh, we're talking to Tracy Beans from UncoverDC.com, where you should go every day. Uh, Tracy, I, I love the fact that you know what. Now, where were they? Were they? Um, it wasn't Chicago. Michigan. That was the sixties. Michigan, of course, it's Michigan because pre pre election day polling showed that Michigan might have a surprise, and then suddenly they had more than a hundred percent of sub precincts voting because dead yep. people got to vote too. Uh, I, yeah, it's so, terrible. Uh, so, wh- what's the timeline on the um, on the uh, Kerry Lake situation? What's next, and how soon could this be resolved, if ever? Well, talking about how unprecedented this all is, if you take a look, they they had to actually go back to the Supreme Court because the trial courts were like, what do we do? And there's a couple of things. Number one, that's great for Carrie Lake's team because it will grant them, I believe anyway, the discovery that they deserve. You know, they did their first their first um, case, the first trial that we've actually seen on election integrity in years um, was done with like. 48 hours to get discovery from from Maricopa County to be able to, you know, prove their arguments out. And I, I, I say they did prove those arguments out. The judge disagreed. It was a bench trial. The other question that I have that still hasn't been answered yet for me is, can they have a jury trial? And if they can, that's going to make a big difference than if you're just counting on a judge who doesn't want to ruffle anybody's feathers. But there's no timeline because they've never done it before. They don't know how to handle it. And how long is the term of governor in Arizona? I don't know. You're, you're really, you're, you get, you're getting me today, mister. I'm not happy I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I have an inquisitive mind. You know that from our history. I said it on your podcast for <laughs> several months. So I, I, it's my problem. I bet it's a six-year term because most of these I governors so. seem to get six-year terms. So Carrie Lake is already uh, well entrenched in, in her position. And she's got her team in place. I, I mean just, Hobbs. I just think, uh, Carrie Hobb, uh, uh, what's her name, Katie Hobbs. Uh, I think she's going to impress upon the courts. Well, you can't throw out a governor. Well, if the election was invalid, I think you have to. Yeah, I mean, look, they took the governorship, they took the AG's office, and they took the Secretary of State. And the reason why they took all those things is for the electoral college votes that Arizona provides during the presidential election. There is everyone's like, well, why would they go for the governor? Very, very, very clearly. This is why. And so it's a it's a crucial race. It's a crucial fight. And remember, you know, the AG lost by 800 votes, 800. Okay, he's still fighting as well. And it's still a viable fight for him as well. So Arizona's not done yet. We are going to keep watching it and hope for justice to finally prevail in one of these things. She is the best. Always the best. Tracy Beans from UncoverDC.com. All right, I'm taking a break. Out of here till tomorrow. It's Mike Opelka on PureOpelka.com. 